proclaiming truth to restore life and liberty. This is The Future of America with your host, Nena Arias. She has proclaimed truth for over 40 years in many nations of the world and now endeavors to restore the values of the biblical worldview that made the United States of America the most powerful nation in the world. Ideas have consequences. They're passed on from generation to generation, forming the culture of a society. To eradicate error, the moral and ethical principles of the Bible must be firmly established in the heart and mind of each individual. Discover how to apply biblical principles to transform your world. And now, your host, Nena Arias. We're so blessed to have you, dear friends, in this last and final part of this topic, answering a question, did God actually say, and this is in regards to putting doubt into what God has said and twisting the word of God in people's minds. I have a lot to cover, so I'm going to get started, but I hope that you will come back to this program and pull apart all the important parts so that you can glean completely what is included here. Permeating our minds and renewing it daily with God's word is vital for all of us. No Christian is exempt from this responsibility if they want spiritual growth. They can go through the motions, but they will not grow. Also to grow in discernment, to detect heresy, distortions, and imbalances in the preaching and teaching that you are hearing from the Word of God. And ultimately, you are the one responsible for your spiritual well-being before God. Pastors and Bible teachers are there to help, but the responsibility will always fall back on you, and that is something we need to understand from the outset. You have no one else to blame but yourself if you're not advancing into higher and stronger heights in your walk with God. And he reminds us through the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. End of quote. This is our job to renew our mind daily. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, he tells us, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. End of quote. There is a right way and a wrong way to handle the word of truth, and it requires diligence to know the difference. Only the Word of God can give us the understanding of His will and the accuracy of God's thoughts and principles. There are many who say they are Bible teachers, but they preach inaccuracies. We must be alert at all times. Many of us agree that a true biblical reformation is needed to correct so much bad doctrine that is circulating in Christianity these days and they are confusing many people. Once you have studied, memorized, applied, and confirmed God's word in your mind and in your heart, never allow anyone to change or distort that confirmation or that confirmed knowing, 
no matter if they are well-known and famous preachers. They are not the authority. Only God, His Word, and the Holy Spirit are. And remember what happened to Peter? One moment he was right. He was right on in answering Jesus' question. When Jesus asked in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 17, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But he said to them, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are Christ. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. End of quote. But just a few verses later in this same chapter, Peter gets heavily rebuked, and Jesus calls him Satan. Peter got that part wrong, horribly wrong. In Matthew 16, verse 21 through 23, we read the following. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, O Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. End of quote. Do you see how Peter could get it so right in one moment, and then the very next moment he got it wrong? which is why we always have to be alert when we are hearing the word of the Lord preached or thoughts and principles that are supposed to be coming from God's word. Paul warned the Galatian Christians to be very careful of anyone who would preach another gospel than the one they had originally received and to guard it very carefully. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, we read, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be under a divine curse. End of quote. Notice he says that even if it's him that comes back preaching something different, don't believe it. The battle against God's word and his people has no demilitarized zone as far as Satan is concerned. He has no pity and no consideration. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, we read, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. End of quote. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, we read, In order that Satan should not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. End of quote. You see, the Word of God reveals everything we need to know to detect all these falsehoods. In Ephesians, Paul instructs us about the war that is constantly going on around us. In chapter 6, verse 12, we read, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this world's darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. End of quote. You see, Satan is a strategist, and he knows exactly how to cover all the important places. 
I want to share with you a very poignant example of how cruel and mean-spirited Satan is in his goal to destroy anyone he can by distorting the word of the Lord and to the extent he will go to accomplish his goals. He will use whoever comes across his path that is willing to be used by him. In my personal devotions, I have been going through the book of First Kings, and I came across a perfect incident that illustrates how we always have to be alert and guard what we have received from God and not let anyone dissuade us from what God has confirmed in our spirit and his instruction in his word and how we are to interpret it and what we are to do in our service to him. This example comes from 1 Kings chapter 13. Now be patient with me because I have to read lengthy, but we need the details here. So I will read from verse 1 of this chapter 13 of 1 Kings. And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, Altar, O altar, thus says the Lord. Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. I'm going to pause right there. Proof that God has spoken something is that it's supposed to happen. If somebody tells you God has told them that something's going to happen and then it doesn't happen, guess what? God did not speak. I continue reading. And when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried out against the altar at Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar saying, Seize him. And his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up so that he could not draw it back to himself. The altar also was torn down, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign that the man of God had given, by the word of the Lord. And the king said to the man of God, Entreat now the favor of the Lord your God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored to me. And the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him and became as it was before. And the king said to the man, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. I want to pause right there, because we are never to sell God's services. We're not to commercialize with what God does. And I continue reading from verse 8. And the man of God said to the king, If you give me half your house, I will not go in with you, and I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. For so was it commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. I continue reading from verse 11. Now this is the part that gets interesting. Or more interesting. Now, an old prophet lived in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told to their father the words that he had spoken to the king. And the father said to them, Which way did he go? 
and his sons showed him the way, but the man of God who came from Judah had gone. And he said to his sons, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he mounted it, and he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, Come home with me and eat. And he said, I may not return with you or go in with you, neither will I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me, By the word of the Lord, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by the way that you came. And he said to him, I am also a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah. Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And after he had eaten bread and drunk, he saddled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. And as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown in the road, and the donkey stood beside it. The lion also stood beside the body, and behold, men passed by and saw the body thrown in the road, and the lion standing by the body. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet lived. End of quote. There are many things to learn here. This man of God was bold. We cannot deny that. And he was committed to carry out what God had asked him to do. And it was a difficult thing because he was told to attack the king in his pride and interrupt the solemnity the king was so proud of. Here's this king dedicating this altar in a solemn way. And then this prophet is told to interrupt that and give a harsh message. Those that do God's bidding must not fear men or their reaction to harsh messages from God. The prophet delivered the message in a loud, bold voice. That took courage, but he was not ashamed. He was bold and he delivered the message of what he was doing for God, delivering it faithfully to where he had to deliver it. Now, the message was directed to the altar and its stones, which would witness the fulfillment of the prophecy, but also to its founder, which was Jeroboam. God spoke against the founder and against the worshipers. Now, here's something interesting, that this prophecy was delivered 356 years before it was actually fulfilled. Yet, it was spoken as sure as if it was at hand, if it was going to happen right then and there. Now, this prophecy had to come in the beginning, because this act of this king in this altar was going to have that repercussion throughout all those generations. 
So God was announcing the unauthorized purpose and how it was going to corrupt God's people, how he was against it, and how the king should have paid heed to this message. This repercussion was going to affect generation after generation after generation. But here was the founding of this altar that would have this long-term effect upon all these generations later on. The reason we know this is because Josiah's name is mentioned. And Josiah was not born until about 300 years from that point. Josiah wasn't even born. You see, this is very important too, because God knows the past, he knows the present, and he knows the future of all things, and he's right on it. He does not miss a detail. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's right on track on everything. And the wonderful part is that he also communicates it to us. What would have happened if this prophet had not come and declared this message from the Lord in the outset of this disobedience from this king? God has a responsibility to all generations to communicate what is right, what is wrong, what is pleasing to him, what is not pleasing to him, what is going to affect the lives of future generations. Because you see, God loves and is interested in every single human being born upon the face of the earth. And when it came to the people of Israel, remember the people of Israel were the model nation that God was forming for the rest of the nations to follow. So they had to get it right. And when they didn't get it right, God would make sure that they knew that they didn't get it right. We are to be obedient and sure of what God has said at the moment and do it. And what this prophet did and said, not only was it for a future time, but in that very moment, God gave signs to prove that this message was coming from him. We read it in verse three. He says, and he gave a sign the same day. The altar was also torn down and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. There was confirmation right then and there that this was God speaking. All this proof that the man of God was truly sent by God. So it only boggles the mind when we see the outcome of this incident. Another sign at the moment that this prophecy was given, the king, instead of trembling at the message, he lashed out at the man of God. And Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him, and his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up, so that he could not draw it back to himself. Isn't that interesting? That should have been enough for that king to fall on his knees, repent before God, because God was definitely speaking there. But then the king asks the man of God to ask God to heal him, and his hand is restored. Notice that the king was only interested in receiving a physical miracle. Never is it mentioned that he repented from his sin and to ask God to forgive him. 
He was focused on the wrong things, yet he was the king of God's people. Do you see how important it is that we work our relationship before God on a personal basis? That no matter who is messing up around us, even though they may be the king, the president, the legislators, even if it may be our parents, the authority figures, we need to know what is the right thing to do. What is God saying? What is the right way to live? So here was another proof that the message was authentic from God because this king's hand was restored. And now comes the part that is very intriguing and tragic. At the same time, and honestly, it made me angry. It bothered me. You know what bothered me? The wickedness of that old prophet. Why he did what he did is almost unforgivable because he caused the man of God to doubt his orders. The man of God had orders not to eat or drink anything in that place. And he honestly and firmly refused the king's invitation to do so, even though the king promised him a reward. Now tell me that was not tempting. Of course it was. But the prophet said, I cannot. I have orders from God that I'm not supposed to eat or drink anything in this place. But he was persuaded by an old prophet who lied to him. This old prophet lied to him to come back with him and eat in Bethel and drink water. This was so blatantly against the orders that this original first prophet had. They were contrary to the command that had been given to him by God. The badness of this so-called old prophet is beyond description. Because instead of doing God's work, he did the devil's work and deceived the man of God from Judah. He abused a title that he had to deceive. Now the question is, if the man of God was so authentic that all he said came to pass that needed to happen at that moment, and God did signs and wonders when the man obeyed, here's the question. Why did he not discern the deception of the old prophet? And why did he so easily disobey something that he knew with such clarity that he ought not to do? But just because he was told by this old prophet, he was told, I am also a prophet, and pretended that an angel had given him a message that was contrary to the original message the first prophet had received. Don't you think that that first prophet should have been unmovable? He had already shown that resolve before the king, when the king had offered to reward him. He had already said, no, what made the difference? The good prophet had the resolution enough to refuse that invitation that was so tempting from the king promised him a reward. But this good prophet did not resist the insinuations of one that pretended to be a prophet. Do you see how dangerous this is? 
We expect falsehoods, attacks, aggressions from outside. But when things happen from within and one of our own disobeys God and is used by the enemy to detour us, to confuse us, to distort God's word, people fall for it. God's people are more in danger of false prophets and should not believe every spirit. The word of God says we must test all the spirits, everything that is being said to see if it is of God or not. The wicked prophet who told the lie and did the mischief apparently went unpunished, while the holy man of God that was drawn by him into sin was suddenly and severely punished for it. This doesn't seem fair, does it? But you will see why it was fair. Because when God speaks, we must obey diligently. We must not twist the word of God in any way, no matter who is telling us to do so. And this is very dangerous because so many people believe everything that they hear from their pastors, from their Bible teachers. They don't do their homework to double check to see if what they are hearing is truly the Word of God. And so when what we are hearing from these so-called men of God, or maybe their intentions are not to do mischief or to confuse people on purpose. They just don't know any better. They just think they're understanding God's word when they're really not. So the hearer, the listener, the believer must be constantly on guard. And this is why I say that it was adequate, so to speak, that the man of God was suddenly and severely punished. He was the most responsible. The message delivered to the man of God by the bad prophet was strange. And he should have immediately rejected the falsehood, but he didn't. He didn't catch it. And if he did, he deliberately disobeyed what God had told him. Why? Because somebody told him that that was a message from God. Now, God cannot contradict himself. He does not contradict himself. Yet the good prophet had received that original message, so he should not have betrayed God by believing a lie. He had the greater responsibility to maintain the message pure and not allow himself to be detoured, dissuaded, and disobey God outwardly the way he did. It is a serious thing to betray the word of God. So we have to be very careful when people say, God told me, I heard the Lord say, yet it totally contradicts what you know to be true. And here is the caution. Don't be deceived like Eve was when Satan said, did God actually say, putting doubt, twisting God's word is a trap that may cost us our life if we are not careful, if we are not diligent to handle rightly the word of truth. And this is the message of this series. And I hope that you will dig deeper 
and do your own study, your own research to enrich your soul even greater. Thank you so much for listening to us and we will be here with another topic. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast. May these truths challenge and change your heart. We hope today's topic has truly enriched your life so we can make America strong again. This program is made possible by the generous financial support of our listeners. All donations are tax deductible. We would love to hear your questions or comments. Please visit our website at www.culturallegacy.org. You may email us at cl at culturallegacy.org or write to The Future of America, P.O. Box 38456, Greensboro, North Carolina, 27438. Call us at 877-732-2887. That's 877-732-2887. Remember, you are a person of positive or negative influence. What you do today will impact the future.